proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the Reformed Confessions of the Faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The Confessional Collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the Kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. I'm Aaron Carr, and I'm your host, along with my co-host, Zach, and uh, what's your name? Oh yeah, Chris. Chris Santola. <laughs> What's up, buddy? <laughs> Actually, uh, I got to start off the podcast today and just ear my grievances against okay. you two. All right. So, audience, air- Festivus has already passed us. You can't air grievances. <laughs> well, <laughs> I need to it. get this out. Okay. Because, first of all, Zach is choosing to go to the a Doctrine and Devotion Conference on Piety over hang out with a bunch of Presbyterians. And I just cannot figure out for the life of me why someone would choose that over Presbyterianism. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and they're not even the same weekend. We're supposed to go to a conference together, and Zach decided he can't do both. I know, but that's two, two conferences in the same month. And my dad's going. I was like, Dad, pick which one you want to go to. And he was like, 1689. I was like, all right, let's go. All right, we got to work on that. <laughs> Nothing against our, our friends at Doctrine and Devotion. I right. appreciate those guys. And uh, But I got to tell you, I was just a little shocked you wouldn't want to be in a van with a bunch of Presbyterians for you know multiple hours sweating together and looking through dirty old books and Clean books, biblical books. Right. Let me get that, yeah. Let me yeah, get but, that out there. But uh, you know, we go to used bookstores in Grand Rapids. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology in Grand Rapids. It does sound good. But you don't have free books, and you don't have cigars there. And so there's, and you don't have a 1689. We there, have so cigars, and we have well, lots, lots okay. of. You know, but you know, it, it is Grand Rapids. There's right. breweries. There's all these things. But yeah. <laughs> as tempting as all that sounds, I had to had to stick with the Baptists. All right, we Ch- got to stick together. Chicago, <laughs> and and Centola decides he he is not going to exchange the warm weather of of California for the the refreshing, uh, blitzful cold of Michigan. <laughs> And uh, I, I'm heartbroken, Santola. What's that about? I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just I, do some of that Old Testament and throw down the Urim and the Thurum and God? No, told I just decided I like the sun. <laughs> I don't even know if we figured out what the sun is yet. I know we talked about that a couple. That's why there was that ago. silence. I'm like, what you're, is you're, sun? S O N. He's thinking. I, yeah. I've heard of it. <laughs> God's I've seen the sun? pictures and books. See, y'all have to understand, and and I'm using the southern twang there to uh, kind of endear ourselves to our southern, uh, our southern Southern Baptist, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But uh, Chris was supposed to move here, and Zach was supposed to become a Presbyterian. My world was going to be great. Listen, if I come up, if I become a Presbyterian, you have to get another host. This has to be confessional collective. That's true. You've got That's to have true. a 1689 guy. That's true. You could be a, a secret Presbyterian. I won't tell Joe or anything. Eh, that doesn't sound that great to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it worked for less. He, well, he, he, he made the conversion over. You he know, did. Conversion. Am I saying that right? Conversion over. So you could make the conversion as well. It's just a simple little prayer. <laughs> it's Three, <laughs> just a few little words. It's, a sinner, it's like a sinner's prayer. Sort of, but there are magic words. Okay, 
And yeah. I, have, I have to say it right, and I have to mean it. Yeah, three times okay. on one leg. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds really weird. <laughs> and it does require your children. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> we'll move on from there. It, it just so happens in today's podcast, we are discussing uh, God's decrees specifically through providence. Now, we talked about creation last week and how God works out all of his eternal decrees through his works of creation, but also this week we're going to look at providence. Um, I'm going to grab um, the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 3. The first uh, first section there says, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass, yet so thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. And there's a whole lot packed into my confession, the Westminster, in that um, just that one point there. But um, the idea of the providence of God, that, that everything that comes about is God's active working out, is a pretty uh, deep doctrine, I think, that, uh, that for some people kind of makes them loopy when they begin to try to think through it. And my confession even has to deal with the issue of sin, well, how can sin fit into all this? So there's a whole lot to unpack today, boys, um, regarding this idea of uh, the providence of God. But Chris, why don't you step us through it, and uh, we'll try to figure it out together. All right. Well, uh, you know, I thought we could start off today just maybe thinking about a time in our own life, our own experience, uh, in our experience within the church, where the providence of God just really became obvious to us. And I'm thinking of a time when, uh, you know, about a year and a half, two years ago, that we believed that God was calling us up to Washington. And uh, we ended up really just stepping out and saying, oh, we're going to go for it. And it was amazing to us just to watch as one thing after another kind of came together and everything that needed to happen happened. And then we got there and everything fell apart. <laughs> and we realized, okay, we're not sure what's going on in all of this. And ultimately we, I think have realized that the Lord was taking us through a big life lesson and really had a lot to teach us through that experience. But it was amazing to watch as we together, my wife Becky and I determined, you know, I think that we need to head back down to Southern California. And as we began to step forward in that, just every single thing that needed to happen came together to where even people around us were just going, this was unbelievable. Just uh, how everything came together and you guys landed on your feet and just it was amazing. And I remember just sitting here after it all happened and just recognizing the, the providence of God to go before us in ways that we had never even thought of, couldn't have thought of. And, uh, it really just was an incredible time where we stood back and went, wow. Um, and I, I just remember thinking to myself that the providence of God in the Christian life is so powerful and present all of the time 
even in just the the daily kind of everyday things. And, and it was just an experience that really kind of brought all that home to me. I think uh, for me, one of the first things that comes to my mind when it comes to God's providence would be uh, <clears throat> when our when my wife and I's son was born uh, last year. It was um, about three weeks before her due date, and she went for like you know her like regular checkup because she's getting close to being due or whatever. Um, and they, you know, at the time just seemed like a an accident. Forgot to take her blood pressure, and so she came back to work after that, and then she started getting really dizzy. Um, like her vision was blurry and everything. And she's like, I think I need to go back. And so when they went back, she was like, oh, by the way, you guys didn't check my blood pressure. And they checked it and it was like deathly high. And so they, they told her, you got to go to the hospital immediately. We have to induce you. And so I left work in a hurry. I went to the hospital. Um, and it was one of those things where everything happened like in the nick of time. Cause this was like a, a really serious thing. And so basically mm, about a little more than 24 hours later, she's having a C-section when they when they take the baby out, he's fine, um, she's fine, and they found out that the placenta had abrupted partially, so there was not as much oxygen going to the baby, and so that's one of those things where if it would have been, you know, a few minutes or a half hour later, it, it could have been really disastrous. Um, but Man. thankfully, our our son was fine, and she we were in the hospital for four days because her blood pressure wouldn't go down. But then uh, after that, looking back, we're really thankful for God's providence through all that, and it was one of those freak things where at the time, you know, they just forgot to take her blood pressure. But because she had a gut feeling and was like, well, I should probably go back and get that checked because I'm feeling funny, you know. And so everything just escalated from there, but it really worked out well, and we're very thankful for that. It's interesting listening to both your stories. You, you see the, the, um, the inner workings of God's hand in even the smallest of details, mm-hmm. like a, a, a taking yep. of a blood pressure. But um, it, the, again, I'm going to bring it back to my confessions and, and that. And, and in Westminster Confession, Chapter 5, it gives the actual statement on the providence of God, but the larger catechism in question 18 says it this way, what are, what are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. Every single action, you begin to think about the, the direction a bird flies, that gets caught in a plane as mm-hmm. the, you know, if you've seen the Scully movie and then the plane comes down, it lands in the Hudson, all of those things. And God's got all of that in his hands. It's, it's unfathomable to try to understand how all yeah. that works together, but praise be to God that he's got it and we can just trust him. Yeah. It really is amazing when you start to recognize the, how close God is to us in his, graceful care and providence. Uh, and it really does come down to just all the little things. Um, you know, so much that we probably overlook and take for granted, uh, you know, just to define even what we're talking about there a little more, when we talk about God as provider, as sustainer, uh, the Heidelberg catechism, which is, a uh, uh, one of the three standards uh, of the Dutch Reformed Church, uh, says in Lord's Day 10, question 27, what do you understand by the providence of God? And sort of, what is the providence of God? And it answers, God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, 
riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. You know, so in considering that definition of providence, uh, I figure we can consider here, in what ways does God provide for us? How has God provided for us? Uh, how does he sustain us in, in in life, in salvation, and in all the day-to-day stuff we're talking about? Um, how How is it that we recognize, what do we understand to be God's providence? Right, and I think, I think sometimes um, when we think about God's providence— uh, not that he doesn't provide like uh, temporal needs because he does that for many people. Um, but I think chiefly sometimes when we start to sit down and think, well, look at like, I don't have everything I want. I don't, maybe sometimes I don't have everything I need, but when we look at the chief way he's provided for us in Christ, um, I think of, you know, Ephesians one mm-hmm. starting in verse three, where it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So that's every spiritual blessing, right? So um, a lot, and I'm guilty of this. I'm sure we've all been guilty. Sometimes we kind of like feel sorry for ourselves. Like, well, I don't have this. Like, I don't have a, I don't have a better job or I don't have a nicer house or my kids are bad or whatever, but we literally have every spiritual blessing you know, in Christ. And if you skip down in, in the same chapter, verse 7, Ephesians 1, verse 7, it, it names a few of the spiritual blessings that we have, which is, in him we have redemption through his blood, um, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So forgiveness of trespasses um, and redemption through his blood. I mean, those are two huge spiritual blessings that have so many implications for our lives. And I think if we if we focus on those things, those spiritual blessings, it... it uh, enables us to be a lot more content when we think about how has God provided for us, how, how is providence working out. If we think about those things, um, we realize that we really have nothing to, we don't have any want, right? Right. Yeah, that really is the, the biggest and best place to start when we talk about God's providence, is, uh, is all that he's given us in his redemptive work in Christ. And, uh, you know, anything else is going to be secondary and, and flow forth from that. But, uh, yeah, that's great, man. That's that's what I think about mm-hmm. as you know the starting place of it all. You know, as, as you guys are talking about this, I'm I'm thinking about the the character of God and the way we really know the character of God is displayed a lot of times through Scripture through the names of God, right? And one of the most important names of God is is found in Exodus chapter three, which is His covenantal name, and it's uh, when Moses is kind of commissioned there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's an interesting uh, dialogue, and, it, and if you just trek with me for a few minutes, in Exodus chapter 3, you have the story of what I call the unburning bush, right? And in the story <laughs> of the unburning bush, what is really happening is, I, I love this, Moses takes and notices that, that there's a fire, and there's a bush, but it's not being consumed, and, um, and, and he says, I love this, verse 3, and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the, uh, the bush has not burned. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not the way I would have said it. Like, holy cow. Yeah. Right? And, and he goes over there, and he, and he sees us, and then God interacts with him, tells him to take off his shoes, and then God tells him what he's going to do because God's been seeing the suffering of his people. And in this, Moses asked this, this really interesting question, you know, like, why me? Or, how, you know, how can I do this? Who am I that I, that I should do this? And I love that God kind of redirects it, and God says, the, it's not about you. It's, a, it's about who I am. And then God gives him the name. God says, uh, I am 
I am who I am. And that's the covenantal God, the all-sufficient one. Mm -hmm. And when you really begin to think about that, that's exactly what the general revelation there of the burning bush showed. You had a, a bush that was burning but wasn't being consumed. And in fact, the fire did not even need the bush to continue. It wasn't fueling the fire. The bush wasn't fueling the fire. Uh, God is, is sufficient in himself, yet he chooses to, to be with the bush, right? Mm-hmm. He chooses to be with us. Same thing he's telling Moses. I don't need you, but I'm, I'm going to use you, um, and I'm going to be with you. And, and that's that whole covenantal relationship. And I think the providence of God plays so heavily into that covenantal relationship. Number one, he doesn't need us, but he chooses to be with us and to use us for his glory. And not just some things, all things. And in that we rely on the fact that his covenantal blessing and, and promise is moving through everything that's before us, and that all things are working together to his will, that, that even our own desires... Um, the things we choose to do, he's, he's, he's moving through his providence to ultimately fulfill. And it's just mind, mind-numbing in the sense of, uh, because it's, it's so full of awe and wonder that, that this is the God we serve, and mm-hmm. this, is, this is his power on display. And as you begin to think through that, there's nothing, nothing that we should ever fear. You know, there, there's no, nothing, nothing in nature you know that 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 should that should that should make us fear because we have the supernatural God, and the way He orchestrates all things for His glory, that we can just trust Him. Yeah. And I don't know about you guys, but it's it's that kind of stuff that just really excites me when we start walking yep. through Scripture. It's encouraging. Love, Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say I love the contrast uh, of this the the God of Scripture with how God is understood in deism. Yeah. Uh, that. You know, as opposed to this, uh, you know, divine uh, clockmaker or watchmaker who, who, you know, put it all together, set it all in motion and walked away, that in Scripture we see God as being close, as he is present, he, he is near to us, he is constantly in all of his sovereignty and power working in and through our lives. And uh, what a contrast that is to see God as being so near to us in that way. It definitely the, the, the language theologians often throw around is God is the only necessary being. We're, we're contingent beings. Everything, the very breath we have comes from God. And, and as you look at that and you realize that he doesn't need us, yet he chooses to work through us. And you think about uh, whether it's a doctor who's checking a blood pressure in Zach's story, right, or, or, or the decisions we make about where to move, not to move, uh, should we go to a Presbyterian conference or a Baptist conference, right? <laughs> all these things. Baptist, God, Baptist conference. <laughs> God, God is working through all these things, and it's, and it's the confidence we have in a God who is covenantal in a God who is faithful, and there's nothing that slips through his hands, not a, not, a, not, a, not a bird falls from the sky that he hasn't deemed to happen. It's just such, and then you, as you start to play that out into the, the way of salvation, mm-hmm. and, and, and as you guys were stating just a few minutes ago, the, the goodness that, that is displayed by his hand and providence of the good things he gives us, it's, I mean, obviously it's, it, it, it's, it's magnified in the works of Christ and that he came and lived and died and rose again, and there's our victory is found in him. 
It's the providence of God. Uh, Galatians 4, 4, it's uh, at, at just the right time, right? Mm-hmm. At just the right moment. That's when, um, when Christ uh, was brought into the world. When, in the fullness of time, when time was most pregnant, all these things work together. And, it's, and, it, and it teaches us that we need to have more trust, more faith right. in a God who's that, that powerful, that, that awe-inspiring. I think when we look at the big picture stuff like you're talking about, it's, it's, um, it's an easy reminder that we can trust in God. And then, and then sometimes on the other side of it, like the personal ways that he provides for us, like you know, the, just maybe in our own lives, sometimes it's harder to be thankful because a lot of times that's through sanctification, which can be painful at times, you know? Um, but it makes me think about the 1689, uh, which is, you know, the same chapter um, on Providence, which is chapter 5, section 5, which says, The most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruptions of their own hearts, to chastise them for their former sins, or to discover unto them hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts, that they may be humbled, and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself, and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin, and for other just and holy ends. So whatever befalls any of his elect by his appointment for his glory and their good. And so that's one of those areas of providence that we don't always think about, like our discipline. You know, God humbles us, he brings us low, so we can be further sanctified through that. He crushes our pride. It makes me think of like Hebrews 12, uh, Hebrews 12, where you um, have, uh, starting in verse uh, 5, really, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the, the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he endures. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And so then it goes on to say, if we're left without discipline, then we're not sons but illegitimate chil- Ill- illegitimate children, you know? So um, one of the ways that providence works in our lives is through discipline and sanctification. And oftentimes that's very painful, you know? It's humbling. It can be embarrassing. Um, it doesn't happen overnight, but those are those times where we need to be thankful for that type of providence as well. You know, in our in our standards in, in uh, 5, it, and it's the same as the London Baptist because you guys copied us. <laughs> we so. just... It was like, you never want to turn in the first draft of something, right? So you have to make little corrections, and then here you go. Now it's good. Now you get an A-plus on it. If, That's how I look at it. <laughs> if you go to the third, the third section of that, of that chapter, it does say exactly what you're saying. It says, God in his ordinary providence makes use of means. Uh, and, and you're right, every, through sanctification and all these things, he's, he's using regular, everyday, everyday means to bring about his will, and ultimately his will is his glory. Mm-hmm. You know, we go back to the very first share catechism. You know, what's, what's the chief end of man? To glorify God, to enjoy him forever. It's this idea that we will find our joy in the glory of God and that all these things are are working to that end. And he's using everyday means. You know, you, you, you obviously, you gentlemen saw your wives. You thought they were pretty. You pursued them. And now here in lo and behold, we have children, right? Mm-hmm, and yeah. it, the, the, God's using all these things. And now here we're trying to raise our children to love God, to know him. And it's through that we're being sanctified. I mean, there's nothing that sanctified me more than being married. Amen? Right. Chris, amen. It's, yeah, <laughs> oh, amen. Man. Oh, okay, word is there for a minute. Like, oh boy. <laughs> you know, it's it's so humbling to to see uh, God in this way as the great giver. Um, you know, James tells us that uh, he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Uh, Paul over in First Corinthians 
there tells the Christians at Corinth, what do you have that you did not receive? And, uh, and he says, and if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And there's this concept, you see, of God as the great giver, that everything we have comes from him. Everything is a gift. Just his, just his patience day to day with us as well, you know, um, like, like it says in Lamentations that his mercies are new every morning, you know, so you've got, uh, chapter three, uh, verses 22 starting the steadfast love of the Lord endures or the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then of course we've got the hymn, great is that faithfulness. But when you think about the lyrics in that hymn and what that's teaching us is there is day to day mercies that we need that he gives us, um, daily repentance. And again, it goes back to the sanctification thing, which sometimes it's hard to be thankful for because sometimes we get downtrodden, you know, and uh, we don't like to deal with our sin and it can be painful, but we do need to be thankful for those new mercies every morning. Yeah. Amen. Coming, coming back to like Ephesians 1.11, according to the plan of him works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. And, and we've talked about this a couple times in these podcasts already, people trying to search out the will of God, mm-hmm. yet, yet providence should bring us great confidence that the will of God will be done, and we don't need to secretly be finding on the back of a, uh, a bubblegum wrapper or right. something. Fortune cookie. Or fortune <laughs> cookie, yeah. You know, I can't remember who spoke of it this way, but they, they referred to God as the the great weaver or the grand weaver. and that there's all these threads of individual lives and circumstances and everything uh, taking place throughout the world, throughout history, and that it all seems to us, from our perspective, just very random. And yet God is weaving all of these lives and situations and circumstances together, and that in the end, the, the, the big picture from God's perspective is a beautiful tapestry, but that we, from our individual thread viewpoint, really can't see that. I mean, wasn't that the, the point of, 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 of Joseph in Genesis 50, which he meant for evil, yeah. God meant for good, yet you look yeah. at that life, I mean, he went through, no thanks, right? Uh, the same for Job, you know, what God ultimately was doing. And, and through that, and when Job did question, God very quickly and very sharply says to him, where were you, right? Right. Um, one of my favorite books is Jonah, and I think the book of Jonah is just such a clear teaching on the sovereignty of God. Everything from uh, the storm to the fish, <laughs> you know, to, to the, this opportunity that God was going to care enough about Jonah's sanctification to orchestrate all of these events so that ultimately Jonah could really be taught something Mm -hmm. and that God's in the details. And that should just give us a lot of comfort when we are going through stuff. God's got this. This is not slipping through his fingers. He he knows what he's up to. Yet, I got to ask you guys this question. Why do you think the church struggles with that so much? I mean, we understand why the unbelieving world does. Right. But why do you think the church struggles with these this doctrine? I mean, they, they, we spew it all the time. Everybody says they believe in the sovereignty of God until there's a call for it to be lived out practically. Yeah. I think, I think uh, one of the indicators that someone maybe doesn't fully wrap their mind around or doesn't fully you know, experience the doctrine of the sovereignty of God maybe the way that they could 
um, is when they're agonizing over all the tiny little decisions of their of their lives. And like we joke over, around about it. And Aaron, you made a joke a couple of weeks ago about like, well, just if you like two girls, just marry the pretty one, you know. And so, but there is truth to that. All right? things being equal. All things. All said. things being equal. Both right? are believers. Both are believers. Make that clear. <laughs> we don't want to get him in trouble. But yeah, but th- there is a lot of truth to that. Um, and I think at the same time, we, we have to balance because we know, like you said just a couple of seconds ago, God is in the details, right? Like, you know, with my wife, with the, the time of the doctor's appointment, and then they forgot the blood pressure and all that. So he's working out all these details, and yet we don't have to agonize over every little minute decision, right? Because we can have great confidence that ultimately he's working it all together for his plan, which is ultimately his glory and our good as well. Because in the book of Jonah, as much as there's a storm and there's a fish— there's also a plant and a worm. Yeah. You know, it's the big things and the small detailed things. You think the story's over. You know, most people forget that there's a whole ending to the book that's still about Jonah learning a lesson. Yeah. And God's in the smallest of the details. I love uh, Proverbs 16:33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the very decision is from the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's in the details. Yeah. And again, I, I, I think... It's, it's amazing to me how many people spout out the sovereignty of God, but, but don't really trust in it, yeah. that, that he's in, in it. You know, again, I, what do you think are some of the other hurdles that the church faces on that? I think sometimes uh, w- with evangelism, you know, and I think a lot of times that struggle comes from a good place where someone has a genuine burden for uh, lost people, you know, um, but not fully grasping the sovereignty of God. A lot of times they'll feel guilt if, hey, you know, for two years I've been sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel to this family member, and, I, you know, it's, it's my fault. Like, what, what could I say better? How could I word it better? How can I convince them? And I think that person, A, should keep doing what they're doing, like keep preaching the gospel. And ultimately, you should be able to sleep well at night, though, knowing that it's not your words that are going to convince them, but it's God's providence, right? And he can provide salvation through that gospel that you're preaching. So you don't have to uh, go to bed at night worrying about, well, you know what, if they they die in a car accident and they go to hell, then it's my fault. I should have said something else, you know, because you right. can have great confidence that it rests in the hands of God. Although you're the, you're the tool that he's using, right? So he doesn't do it in a vacuum, but the providence of God gives us assurance that we can sleep well at night. It goes back to the example of the burning bush. He doesn't need us. Right. He's fueled in and of himself. He's not, he's not dependent upon us. He's the necessary being, but he chooses to rest on us. Mm-hmm. He chooses to use us. Yeah. Yeah. It really is a comforting doctrine. It is. Uh, you know, it's a place where I think we can find a lot of rest from the uh, the the constant analysis paralysis kind of thing that uh, we can get ourselves into sometimes, and just the anxiety and stress of trying to uh, have hold of every detail, and really just the the idolatry of control, and recognizing that God is in control, we don't have to be in control. And, uh, you know, the uh, Belgic Confession, section 13, about halfway through, says, This doctrine affords us unspeakable consolation, since we are taught thereby that nothing can befall us by chance, but by the direction of our most gracious and heavenly Father, who watches over us with a parental care, keeping all creatures so under his power that not a hair of our head, for they are all numbered, nor a sparrow, can fall to the ground without the will of our Father, in whom we do entirely trust. And being persuaded that he so restrains the devil and all our enemies that without his will and permission they cannot hurt us. Uh, and that is just such a, a, a comforting 
doctrine. There, there is such an unspeakable consolation in the the teaching of God's providence that we find in His Word. I, I love the um, the prayer of Hannah in First Samuel. It, it, it says this: "The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and He rises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and He exalts." And it's just the contrast. Yet mm-hmm. God's in all of it. Right. And all of it's again working for His glory and and for our good. You know the Romans eight twenty eight coffee cup verse everybody loves to ha- to go around and throw around. It is true that all things work yeah. together for those who are called according to His purpose, and and that purpose is His glory. And so f- for some of us that will mean cancer, and right. He's there in that providence right. of cancer. And for some of us that means thrones and and kingships and whatever else Zach gets. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get you know, a, th- I, I, a throne. That sounds kind of <laughs> cool, I guess. <laughs> You know, and I think you just touched on something there that is a, a definitely a challenge when we think about the providence of God. I mean, you talked about, you know, that it, it may be within his providence uh, that someone get cancer. Um, you know, my oldest daughter, my, my 17-year-old girl, Gwen, is autistic. And, you know, especially as we were younger parents, um, she was our first kiddo. And you, you start asking all of the questions and the why and something that the Lord brought me back to in Exodus chapter 4, verse 11, uh, the Lord answers Moses, who, uh, you know, was saying that, uh, well, you know, I'm slow of speech and of tongue. I'm not going to be the, the guy to deliver your message that the Lord says to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And you know, at first I was a bit taken back by that, that, uh, that none of this is by accident. Um, you know, and I at times have come to that passage, uh, you know, who has made my daughter the way that she is, who has made her autistic? Um, now that's tough to, to consider God's providence in that way. But it takes us to a whole deeper level of being able to see the goodness of God, the the sovereignty of God, and the providence of God, even in something like disease. And to be able to trust and know that he was not out of control uh, as my daughter was formed in the womb. Um, that that he was not out of control then, he's not out of control now, and that somehow, even though that might be hidden from our sight here and now, that God is graciously and powerfully working in and through her life uh, in spite of that disability. And so in that way, I know I have been very comforted by this doctrine. You know, Chris, just listening to you share that story, uh, Proverbs chapter 16 comes to mind. In his heart, a man plans his course. And I'm imagining you guys, this is your first pregnancy, you guys are excited. And it says, but the Lord determines his steps. God knew exactly what he was doing and, and the trust. And I, I mean, just just knowing the, the relationship you and I have and the maturity, I don't think that just happened overnight. It wasn't like you just flipped a switch. It was a dimmer, and it gradually God was using things in your life. And obviously, this was one of the major things God was using in maturing you 
And I think that's a great hope to our listeners that whatever they face, whatever life throws at them, in a sort of speak, that God in his providence is using all these things for their good. And, and it's because it's in his control. Right. And, yeah. and, and what, what we got to keep in mind constantly is that this is for our good and it's, and it's, it's for his glory. And I think sometimes that's hard to swallow, but when you're visiting the, the bedside of, of a, of a, of a mother of five who has cancer, which often happens in my ministry, in fact, has happened recently and you're talking to her and you're looking in her eyes and she's She's giving back to you something you said your pulpit, which was don't waste your cancer. Mm-hmm. Pastor, I'm trying not to. Help me, pray for me. Because she realizes that God's got this. Man, it thrills you. But yet you realize the the okay, Lord, <laughs> you know, man, you know, this is this is real life and this is hard. And I'm sure you guys had your good days and bad days, but in all this, God has not um not 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 let anything you know, again, I, I can't think of a better way to say it than slip through his hand. Yeah. I mean, he's got it yeah. all. Uh, I was talking to somebody one time who, um, at, at this point, by the time I met this person, she had she had lost her husband like years ago, and she was just telling me a quick story about about uh, when they found I don't know if it was when they found out that he had cancer or something. And, uh, you know, in, in her mind, she, she was thinking that she believes in the sovereignty of God, but one of the things she said to me just struck me as odd, and she's like, you know, God wasn't surprised by any of this, and and he knew that the devil was going to invent cancer, and so none of this, you know, none of this was taken in by surprise. And, I, and in the back of my mind, and not to sound rude, but it was just kind of like, that's a really weak God. Like, he knew the devil was going to invent cancer. He allowed the devil to do that, and then he allowed the devil to take your loved one away. Like, you know, what? how do you get comfort in a doctrine like that, you know? Other than, or, or rather, we should look at it and think, even through this cancer, God is providing and it's in his providence and he has a reason for it and if you think if you go all the way to the extreme you've got like word faith people who hey if you if you die of, of sickness or if you die of cancer it's because your faith wasn't strong enough you lost a battle with the devil and he won because you didn't pray hard enough and like that i mean we we need to wholeheartedly reject that you know yeah that's, yeah. that's a that's a damning doctrine it really is because you you are teaching people that it all depends on them. It is a works righteousness, mm-hmm. right? The reason God isn't blessing you, the reason God isn't. What do you What do you say to the the pastor who's being martyred over in China, right? When, in those cir- circumstance, but but all of this comes back to the fact that God is not surprised. In fact, God is orchestrating all of this. That's what providence is. Yeah. He He. But it's interesting in, in my own confession. Again, it says He uses even the secondary causes, and yet He's not ordaining sin. You know, it's how is he able to do that? Well, well, surely the fall of man, the difficulty of life, um, you, you look at it and you experience it. We, we've all tasted to varying degrees and we know life is hard. And we also know the Bible says God is good and glory is coming. Mm-hmm. And, and we're looking forward to that. But our experience of how to survive is is the trusting that God truly does have this. He has my cancer. He has he has whatever I face. And it's not that he's caught off guard. It's not that Satan orchestrated something right. in in spite of him. It's that God is using and 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 and, and is preserving and and orchestrating all these things for again our good and His glory. Right. That that's yep. where our peace has to lie. I think uh, another great comfort we can take too is like 
we see God uh, provide like his providence working out through all creation, you know, not not even just the church, but the church specifically he provides in a special way for. And there's a statement in the in the London Confession that I just want to read real quick. uh, Chapter five, section seven, as the providence of God doth in general reach to all creatures. So after a more special manner, it taketh care of his church and disposeth of all things to the good thereof. And so that's just something to kind of put a little bow on the conversation we just had, right? You know, it it uh, it gives us great confidence to know that we have been chosen by God, and yes, He is providing in a, in a grand sense with everything that's going on, but specifically for His church, like those are His kids, He's providing for them, um, and it's just like you said, you, you wouldn't want it any other way. It's uh, it's a comforting doctrine. Yeah, those called yeah. according to His purpose. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think especially for uh, for all the church planters. Uh, you know, the, the pastors, those who are serving the body of Christ and, uh, and stepping out um, in ways that uh, maybe out of a, a comfort zone that uh, might be kind of unique, <clears throat> that the doctrine of God's providence really is a, a very strengthening teaching of Scripture, because uh, we want to know that we're not just stepping out and trying to to do something for the kingdom of God in in and of ourselves, in and of our own strength, but recognizing that God is there, He is imminent, that He is involved in the details, and that uh, really it comes down to what Jesus says, that uh, He will build His church. And seeing ourselves as merely an, an instrument in that, a uh, means in that, but to recognize that God is the one who is going to do that. He is going to sustain. He is going to provide. Uh, and that it doesn't all lie upon our gifting and abilities and efforts. Uh, I, I think, you know, having, uh, having worked in church planting, I don't know how you could even begin without having that kind of a strong uh, trust and faith in the providence of God to build his church. You know, in, in at the end of the Westminster, it, it gives, uh, it, in uh, chapter uh, 5 and section 2, at the very end there it says, He ordaineth them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. And I think one of the things I want to just take a second on it is hit those three last words. Necessarily was basically through the laws of nature. Mm-hmm. He's using the, the 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 laws of nature. The fact that a storm was used in Jonah's life, right? And it makes sense that a whale is in the water. He's on he's on a storm in a sea, <laughs> and it's a whale that God uses. Well, okay, maybe not a whale, a big fish, whatever you want to do there. But but the point is, God's using all these normal. Uh, uh, laws of nature, right? And yet, freely, it, it was it, it's it's the the free response. You know, it, God did not make Pharaoh do what Pharaoh did. Right. It was Pharaoh's own stubbornness. Now, God hardened his heart, but it was Pharaoh's own choices to do the exact things he did. Yeah. And it's kind of funny <laughs> when you read that story. What did he do? He brought. He brought his magicians forward, and all they did was add to the frogs, mm-hmm. add to the lice, <laughs> you know. And, and you look at that, and he's all he did was made things even worse, right. right? And and that's the hardness of men's heart. And, but but it's the freedom of 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 their own response. And and then the last contingently, this is that God uses secondary causes. Uh, he, and 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 I think we got to keep all that in mind that that is how powerful our God is. 
that he he is not made us to be robots. Right. We're not walking around and we there there is the use of our will, of nature that he's created, of secondary causes, all of this, and he still sovereignly sits over it and is and it's orchestrating things. And for the church planner, for the pastor, for the mom, for the the person with cancer. There is hope because of that. Right. There is confidence yeah. because of that. Because our God sits on that throne, the throne above all of that. And that's good news. It is. Yep. Well, gentlemen, I, I guess I got to say, I started off the podcast whining and complaining. And what you've taught me <laughs> through this is that God's got it, and it's for his glory and his purpose that, that Zach's going to be a Baptist <laughs> and Chris is going to live in California. And so I just got to, you know, bite down hard and just accept what God's doing, right? We forgive you. Yep. <laughs> is that my repentance? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, a great, great discussion. Um, I appreciate what you guys are bringing to the table. I think this has been really beneficial to me. Um, you guys got any last kind of words of encouragement for anybody? I, th- I think just for, just real quick, just to add, I think a lot of times people my age or even a, a little bit younger than me who are going off to, you know, college and making big big decisions like that? Just a word of encouragement for that area of life. Um, if you've ever read "Just Do Something" by Kevin DeYoung, super good book, and uh, it touches on God's providence all throughout that, where you you don't have to agonize over all these little not little deci- I guess I shouldn't say little. I mean, they're big decisions. Where do I go to college? What job do I get? Who do I marry? Those things you can have confidence and in, in your free choices and those things, you know, because knowing that God is. Uh, sovereign and his 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 providence is going to carry through all that. So just like a word of encouragement to people making those decisions, you know. Yeah, and I would say the same that uh, to really take hold of this and understand that God really is in control, and that He is working for His glory for the good of His people, and that enables you to step out to to be bold to take risks. And to to live with the comfort and the consolation of knowing that he's got this. Amen. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com. And be sure to like our Facebook page. All right, my number one goal, I was saying, is I'm going to just try to make enemies today. Okay. <laughs> So, there's going to be sounds no. like sounds like a good time. We need more enemies. We've got too many people like our podcast just like passively. They're like, eh, it's all right. Those guys are cool. I guess they're, they're they good will guys. choose sides today. Okay, <laughs> that's what we want. <laughs>